Amen. Thank you all, worship team, leading us to the presence of the Lord. Amen. Turn with me, if you will, tonight to the book of Daniel. To the book of Daniel. We'll get to part two. Amen. Lord allows us. We'll see what he's got to do tonight. Amen. How many of you came need a touch from God? Amen. Praise the Lord. He's here to help. He's here to strengthen. He's here to touch. Amen. He is. Praise the Lord. Daniel chapter 3. We're talking about a revival where we recover all. Amen. And if we're going to have a revival where we recover all, then we're going to be refined by fire. Amen. I know I'm repeating myself over and over and over. Sound like a broken record maybe to some of you. But, you know, sometimes we have to hear things over and over and over just to make sure they sink in. Amen. If any of you are stubborn like I am, then you have to be told more than one time, Brother Jason. Amen. You just have to be told a few times. And so we're talking about a revival where we recover all. Sometimes you got to make sure folks know that revival is still taking place. Amen. God's still moving. Amen. We need to be reminded God's still moving. I don't care what they say. Amen. I know all you hear is about COVID-19. I'm telling you, my God's still moving in the power of the Holy Ghost. Amen. You just don't hear about that very often. The news ain't going to tell you about that. They're just going to tell you about everything that's going on wrong, right, in the street. I saw folks coming together today. Amen. I seen the Holy Ghost of God move today in this house and back again tonight. Amen. I rejoice in Jesus. Amen. What's your name, brother? What's your name, Robert? I'm, I'm so glad you're here, Robert. Amen. I don't care what the television says. I'm glad that we're all in the house of God together tonight. Amen. Let's rejoice in Jesus tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Let them say what they want to say. Amen. Every life matters. Amen. Those that are lost and those that are found, I look one way, the blood of the lamb. Amen. Hey, as a poet didn't know it. The lost and the found, and we're going to be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Amen. Praise God. That might preach for another day. Amen. I tell you all this, we've lost, we've lost folks that won't come to this church because we do mission work in Africa, and the folks we minister to there is black. Amen. Some of my greatest friends in the whole wide world aren't white. You know what I come to a conclusion about? Every place that we go do missions, their skin color is not white. I'm beginning to think white folks have it messed up. Amen. <laughs> because everywhere else I travel in the world, they're not white. Amen. And they're not worried about what color they are. They're not worried about the little things in life. But I think spoiled rotten American white folks have missed the thing a long time ago. Amen. We're too busy worried about somebody else and skin color. I'm telling you, church, we better get back to what matters, and we're going to find that at an altar of Jesus Christ. Amen. That's the only thing that matters. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank the Lord. Well, we're here tonight to look to the Word of God and just believe God to help us tonight. Amen. Been talking about the trials of life. Anybody ever face any trials? Trials and the fires of life. Amen. And so this morning and Wednesday night, we talked about that our trials and our fire and our fires don't confine us. Amen. And tonight, Lord willing, we'll get to that our trials and the fires in our life don't define us. Amen. They don't define us. So turn with me to the book of Daniel, chapter 3. I believe. Most of you is already there. I know we've read this a lot, but I just want to read it again. 
Verse 27. And the princes, the governors, and the captains, and the king's counselors being gathered together saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power. Nor was an hair of their head singed, neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. Somebody needs to know the way you're coming out. It's going to be totally different than the way you went in. You're not going to look like or smell like what you've been through. You ever seen somebody's life and you say, you mean you used to be a dopehead? You did? I couldn't even tell you were. Because when Jesus does something, he just, he don't restore you back to what you once were. That was the problem with the children of Israel where they were wonder, they were wilderness wonders instead of promised possessors. He knew if I could ever get them in the promised land that they would grab a hold of something that they didn't work for, that they didn't pay for, and that they didn't have to do anything for but just get in the land and the fruit would already be there. They didn't have to worry about anything drying up and wasting. Let me just be a promised possessor. Listen to me, church. If you'll be a promised possessor, quit being a wilderness wonder. Things will change in your life. Things will change. Things will transform. Amen. A lot will change if we'll take possession of our promises. So here's what the Word says. They didn't look like or they didn't smell like what they'd been through, what they passed through. It said, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. I just looked up, I was just stirred here just a minute ago. You may be seeing me looking. But I wanted to see what this word power is because power a lot of times in the New Testament means dunamis. And that is a dynamite power. That is the baptism of the Holy Ghost that gives us power to overcome. Well, that's not what this power means. Listen to this. This is a power that would overcome them. I said this is a power that would overcome them not a power that would help them overcome the obstacles of the world. Here's what he says. And the princes and governors and captains and king's counselors being gathered together saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power. Listen to this. That means they were in the middle of a fire. They were cast in there bound and the wicked king was against them and thought surely if I turn the fire up seven times hotter surely it will consume them and kill them. But when all the ones that gave approval to cast them in the fire came to the mouth of the fire, they saw four men loose. Not only were they loose, but they didn't look like or smell like fire. Not a hair on their head was singed. Now that's easy to say if you're me, but you're not a lot of you. You have hair. And I'm sure they had long hair. And I'm sure that the clothes that they had on and the hats they had on was a lot of opportunity for the trial and this fire to engulf them. But it had no power. Somebody needs to know what you're going through right now has no power over you either. <laughs> I hope God will help me. I feel the Holy Ghost already. This word power means to assault. <laughs> You ever been in a trial of your life and you feel like this thing is assaulting you? Every time you turn around, you feel like, bam, I just got drop kicked to the face. You feel like you cannot breathe. You feel beat down. You feel wounded. You wonder if this trial is going to overtake you. Anybody ever been there? 
It means to fall upon. It means to exercise power over you. Wow. That means the trial that you're going through. If we give room to the devil, that's exactly what the fire will do. And if you walk through things without the fourth man in the fire with you, that's what will happen to us. Listen, it means to rule over. It means to dominate. It means to lord, lowercase l, lord over you. It means to become your master. It means to give dominion to, and it means to get mastery of. Now, all that that I just read, the fourth man in the fire kept all of those things from happening to these three men. If the fourth man is in the fire with us, then nothing of this world and nothing the devil brings our way can dominate over me. It cannot take mastery over our lives. It does not have the rightful place to rule over me. Are you hearing me? That means that we cannot let the trials of life define who I am. Now, if you're a, a, a note taker, write this down. The word define means to the state to describe the nature of or the meaning of something. The state of to describe the nature of or the meaning of something or someone. It can also mean to make up or establish the character of. So we have to make a decision. Am I going to let the trial that I'm passing through right now define who I am? Now, if you're here tonight and you're going through a divorce, you're going through a hard time, you're going through depression, does that make you what you're going through? No. You may be going through something, but if I'm a child of God, then I'm a child of God, and what I'm passing through don't define what I'm in. Amen? Amen? Amen. That don't define me as a failure. You may have failed, but it don't make you a failure because failure's not final. So we can't identify these three men were in the middle of a fire, but they weren't on fire. I said they were in the middle of a fire, but they weren't on fire. Amen. Why weren't they on fire? Because the fourth man that is a consuming fire was in there with them to consume everything that should have got on them. You look at the fourth man in the fire and you'll see a type of Christ on the cross. Everything that we should deserve was consumed in Christ on the cross. And with the fourth man in the fire, we might as well put the cross there because the cross of Calvary absorbed everything that should be laid on our shoulders but absorbed it all. And so when you're in the trial, of your life if you're walking through a divorce Dom it don't make you a failure in life because the cross of Calvary has consumed the failure already and paid for it and then paid for your debt and the blood of Calvary has washed it away amen our trials in life don't define us they don't make us who we are now listen to me they can if you let them they can if you let them you can stay in pity parties. I'm just going to slow down. You can stay in a pity party and you can beat yourself up and you can do that round and round and round if you want to. If you're here today and you're a backslider, then, then that, you don't have to be a backslider any longer because you're here and the grace of God's dealing with you. You know what the cross wants to do? Consume your backsliding tonight. You may be, you may be bound by pornography, but you don't have to be a porn addict. The thoughts in your mind can change. How do you say that, Pastor? Because Jesus paid for it all on the cross of Calvary. And just like he consumed the fire for the three men in the fire, then he can consume your thoughts too. Amen. 
any addiction, anything that you have in your life, if you'll truly let God consume that and absorb that, then he will do that. But you can be in the middle of a fire and you can say, I want to be on fire. Well, guess what? You'll burn up. What are you going to identify with in the trials of life? Are we going to identify with Jesus? Are we, are, are, are we going to identify with our trial? It's up to you and I. It's up to us. What voice are we going to believe? Are we going to believe the voices of the world and the voices of the devil? Because I can promise you what they'll do. They'll stomp you down. They'll wear you out. And they'll run over you in a heartbeat because they don't care about you. I promise you, people in this world don't care about you. They just want what's in you good. And when they get that out, they don't need you anymore. Amen? And so many times we're defined by what we walk through or what we're walking in, but that's not what God wants us to do. This morning we said we're not confined by our trials. Come to the house of God. You're in the trial of your life. What's the devil going to tell you? Don't lift up your hands and worship. Don't you know you're unworthy? You get them things down. You know how many times I've had to get up on a Sunday morning Fight my way through hell just to get to this pulpit. Once I get here, the devil said, who do you think you are to preach to them? You know, if I listened to that voice, it would be every Sunday. I wouldn't ever get here. Amen. And just because I get here and I may be going through a trial in my life, don't make me a hypocrite. I don't mind telling you about my trials. I don't mind telling you about my personal business. If you really want to hear it, I'll be glad to get real with you all. You may never come back if I got real with you. Amen. You probably wouldn't. You'd probably find a church better down the road. And I don't blame you. I tell people all the time, I don't know if I'd sit under me. Amen. I'm a mess. But that's all right. I'm not defined by what I'm going through. Amen. I'm not defined by that. Jesus defines who I am. And Jesus defines who you are too. And so we cannot stoop down to the stupid voice of the devil and let him define who we are. Just because we're walking in the middle of a fire and a trial, that does not mean make who we are. Amen. I'm not conformed by that. I'm conformed to his image. Amen. So listen, Brother Isaiah, you got that picture? Anybody know what that is? Looks like a rock. Looks like what? What'd you say? Gangrene? Yeah, David said gangrene. What'd you say? Looks like fool's gold, don't it? Somebody else said it's a nugget of what? It's a rock with gold inside of it. How about that? When I seen that picture, I started thinking about the refiner's fire. And I said, I just want, I'm curious at what gold looks like before we ever put it on our neck. That's one of the purest forms of gold that there is. How many of y'all would, how many of y'all would just see that walking on the ground? If you're walking by and you just seen that laying there, you'd probably just kick it right out of the way. That would be the ugliest thing you've ever seen. Am I right? But if you're looking for gold, you know what to look for. I said, if you know what to look, if you know what gold looks like, then that, you boy, you'd, your mouth would be watering. Oh, my. Stay with me. Somebody that knows what they're looking for, their mouth would be watering over that, and they would go digging to find that. Can I tell you, the king of kings knows what he's looking for. 
And there's a lot of people that walk by our lives whenever we're down to nothing. And nobody would pay anything for it, but he knows what he's looking for. How do you know that, preacher? Because the Bible says he came to seek and save that that was lost. And when everybody else walks by and just kicks something out of the way, Jesus said, no, no, no. That's the one I want. That's the one I purchased with my blood. Everybody wants to walk by and kick it away. I can tell you this one thing. I can promise you that the master knows what's in that hand right there. He knows exactly what he's looking for, and he knows that he's not defined by that. He knows what the outcome is going to be. Everybody wants it around us around your neck, but nobody wants it here. But a master. But a master. Amen. Listen to this. God doesn't see our impurities. He sees our potential. God doesn't see our impurities. He sees our potential. Daniel 3.27 said the fire had no power. Their hair was not singed. Their garments not affected. And the smell of fire was not on them. The fire didn't define these men, and it won't define ours either. Amen. I said the fire didn't define these men, and it will not define us either. The first thing that I want to tell you about is the division will not define me either. Division. You may be going through all kind of division right now in your life. I was immediately brought to my attention about the prodigal son. I shared this this morning. The hog pen didn't define the son, but it did help develop him. The hog pen didn't, didn't define the son, but it did help develop him. Let's look to the book of Luke. Let's look to the story of the prodigal son. There was some division in the house, was there not? The Bible says in Luke 15 verse 11, and he said a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. He divided. There was division right there. Do you think the father really wanted to divide the goods up in that moment? No, not at all. Do you think that the father's looking down from heaven right now? If he sees division, apparently there must be some because the Holy Ghost called it out already in this service. It said time is running out. Time is very near for I'm about to return. If you've got division with your brothers or with your sisters or with anybody else, then you better make it right. Did y'all hear the Holy Ghost say that? Amen. So did I. And so this young man stirred division in the father's house. I can tell you this. If you're here and you're stirring division in the father's house, you need to get it under the blood. Amen? But let me tell you, if there is division in you, then that's okay because I'm here to tell you that the Holy Ghost is here and the grace of God is here and there may be division in you right now, but the division don't have to define you and the division don't have to be the final say, amen? Because just like this younger son, he said, give me my portion of goods and so the father gave it to him. Can I tell you, the father's gonna give you what you want. Some of you think that you know better than him. Oh, yeah. I see some of your faces. Y'all think y'all got this thing wrapped up? Oh, yeah. Some of you, you don't want to be here no more than nothing. You say, give me my part right now, God. I'm fixing to show you how to live life. I'm fixing to show you how to, real, how to live a real life. I'm not going to be faithful to church. I'll be faithful when I get ready to. But right now, God, I'm about to show you how it's done. That's what he said. And Some of us saying, oh, Jesus, but we're doing it in our life. We serve God on our own basis. Amen. We serve God when we want to, and we don't when we don't want to. And we're going to make God serve me like I want him to serve me instead of me lining up to God and serving him on his conditions. 
Now, I know it's here because the Holy Ghost wouldn't have us preaching it. I wanted to preach something else. But I know it's here tonight in this house. Some of you are trying to determine and dictate how you're going to serve God. But it don't work that way. It don't work that way at all. Amen. But I'm here to tell you tonight that it don't have to end that way. I said it don't have to end that way. Division don't have to define me. Now, it can if you let it, but it don't have to. I said division don't have to define me. The prodigal said, give me my portion, so the father gave it to him. The father knew exactly what was going to happen. Amen. He knew what was going to happen. He wasn't taken by surprise whenever that boy took the money. Oh, he was, he was, he was the hot dog. Amen. The Bible said he went sleeping with harlots. Oh, that surprised you? That's what he did? It shouldn't. <laughs> it shouldn't surprise you whatsoever. Spent all his money. I could just see him walking down the street, probably had two women in one arm, probably a juke joint here, a juke joint here. He's probably in there saying, put it on my tab. Put it on my tab. Come on, I got this handled. I'm just spending all my money. There was no respect for what the Father gave him. There was no respect for what the Father gave him. But it was all rebellion and disrespect. Amen. How many of us are living for the Father that way? Just disrespect, dishonor. I can promise you that it don't have to define who you are. So the son ended up going deeper and deeper and deeper. And then the next thing you know, he ended up in a hog pen. Can I tell you, that's the last place that any Jew would ever want to be, is with hogs. That was the na- They're nasty, and I like hogs. Amen. Amen. I like eating some bacon. Anybody else? I like eating sausage. Amen. I like pork chops. I ain't go- but I'm telling you, hogs are nasty. Amen. I don't think I want to get- eat with the hogs. I don't think I just want to take care of hogs all the time and eat the husk with the hog. Anybody else? But I can tell you the last place that a Jewish person was ever going to be was anywhere around the hog because they were unclean and they wasn't coming back. Amen? But I can tell you this one thing. I thank God for the Holy Ghost and a hog pen. I said I thank God for a Holy Ghost and a hog pen because no matter where you're at, I'm telling you the Holy Ghost of God was in that hog pen and the grace of God came pursuing him. He said I don't want division to have the last say in your life. I can tell you that the Father is crying down from heaven and he's saying I don't want division to have the last say in your life. Is somebody with me? I feel the Holy Ghost in this house tonight. My God, hear me tonight church. Division don't have to define you. The hog pen don't have to define you. Addiction don't have to define you. Abortion don't have to define you. Abuse and rape don't have to define you. Depression and divorce and discouragement and death. It does not have to define you. It's up to you tonight church to rise up above and realize I'm not going to let those things define my life. I may be in a hog pen but I'm not staying in a hog pen. This hog pen, this addiction, this trial, this fire I'm coming out and when I come out you better watch out devil. I'm not going to smell like or look like what I've been through. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He was divided He was divided from his family. He was divided from his father. He was divided from his brother. He was divided from the farm. But division didn't define him. Division don't have to define us. Can I tell you this world is being defined by division right now. I said this world is being defined by division right now. You go in the stores, it's marked off six feet apart. The world is trying to divide us. Well, you can't get close to anybody. Six feet apart. 
Brother Chris is right. You know what the number six is? It's the number of man. You think that's a coinky dig? Amen. The, the number you got to stay apart from one another is six. The number of man. Where did I've never heard the word social distance until now. How do you social distance? I don't. I can't. Amen. I'm a nut. I mean, I like to hug. I like to shake hands. Amen. It's, it's weird right now. You go in a store and you see somebody you ain't seen in a while and you're like, Do we shake hands? Do we kick? Do we bump elbows? What do we do? I mean, I, I don't know, man. You don't want to make people uncomfortable because I'm just like, hey, come here. <laughs> oh, it's like you got the plague or something. No, we've already had it. It passed through us. We're good now. Amen. Amen. We got it. <laughs> Amen. You know? But listen to me. Are you, you, you see what I'm saying? You see what I'm saying? The world is trying to define us by dividing us. You can't divide the church. The world can't divide the church. But that's what the devil is trying to do is divide the church. And he's wanting to define us by that. Do you know how many people that I know are so discouraged? Because the devil and the world is trying to define what the church does. Well, do it this way. Come in this door, sit here. And go out the door there and sit there. They're trying to define them. I understand it all. I get it. This thing is serious. It's serious. But at the end of the day, I would rather know that the church was praying for me. I would rather know that the church is praying for me. Amen. I don't take this lightly whatsoever. We got greatly affected by it. Amen. So many people greatly affected by it. But I'm telling you, we don't have to allow the world to define the church. I want you there. I want you there. If it's my last day, I want my church family there to be laying hands on me, to know that you're praying for me, to know I'm not divided from you. I'm telling you, church, I'm telling you that we don't have to go out divided. We don't have to go out divided. Amen? We don't have to go out divided. Sister Debbie shared with me, being divided, what did that do? She said, that's the worst thing ever. Worst thing ever. What do you think the enemy wants to do? Amen, divide us. That's exactly what he wants. But he can't label the church. The church came together in authority and power. 120 in unity. Amen. I believe. I believe. That's what defines you and I. Amen. The world's not. This division. Amen. The prodigal son. He got divided from the father, from the farm, from his family, from his brother. But I'm telling you, division didn't define him. The hog pen didn't define him, but it did help develop him. Amen? Can I tell you today that everything that you've been through in your life hadn't defined you, but it will help develop you. It will help develop you into the man and the woman of God that God's called you to be. Everything that you've been through in your life. Everything that you've been through in your life. Amen? This month I celebrate 17 years of being saved and set free. For meth addiction, alcohol addiction, porn addiction, sex addiction, I celebrate 17 years, September 19th of 03. Amen, this year. And I rejoice in the Lord for that. I do. I thank God. It's my birth month. I don't think it's a coincidence. Everything that God has birthed in this house, because this month I celebrate that. And I thank God for that. Amen, I do. I rejoice. But I know what the enemy would love to do. He would love to define me by what I was 
17 years ago. But that's not who I am today. Amen, that's not who I am today. I can tell you I went through the trial of my life. Whenever we were coming out of Grittany Baptist Church, I seen a letter. I got a letter a while ago. And on that letter, the face of that letter, it said, Grittany Baptist Church. And I said, oh, I loved it here then. But when we begin to come out of that, that thing stirred up so many things because it made me think about every trial that we've been through. The bitterness and the hate and everything that happened when the Holy Ghost fell upon Brother Buck and people left and said, if that's the way it's going to be, then we're not going to be here. And just the trials and the hurt and everything. Whenever my little boy, 10-year-old boy, came home from school and he said, Daddy, my friends, parents want to know why you and Mama are stealing money from the church and why you're driving that new car and why you got four-wheelers and all these things. I said, we've never had a four-wheeler or a go-kart. But you can't tell that to a 10-year-old little boy that his best friend's parents think that you're stealing money from the church. And I just literally walked out of my office and there was a letter there said said, Grittany Baptist Church. And it just brought up so much stuff. It's not that I'm mad at that, but it just reminded me that through that trial, through that trial, do you know, I know it didn't even happen. I know I'll look at anybody in the eye. I'll stand before Jesus one day and I believe he's going to say to me, well done, thy good and faithful servant. You remember when they reviled you and rebuked you? Remember when they made them fake false, false Facebook accounts and were saying all this stuff about you and your wife and your children and you coerced the church to come out and IRS's phone number was on there? You remember? I said, I sure do, God. And in that moment that I was in Birmingham, Alabama, my cousin and his girlfriend had that baby. That baby, I just seen that mama holding that baby. Tubes out of every place in that child. That baby's head, I'll never forget it. My wife called me squalling. I had to step out of that room and take the call. She was squalling. And I remember my heart broke for Breanne and Ian. Seeing that baby there. Because if a miracle didn't happen, that baby was going to die. And that week, that child died. And I remember going out to the waiting room and talking to my wife. And she said, have you seen Facebook? I said, no, why? She said, Jared, she said, they've said all kinds of stuff about you. They said, you're a thief. You made the church come out of the Baptist Association. They're going to file a lawsuit against you. You've taken up false money. You've stolen money from the church. You're driving new cars. you got four-wheelers and go-karts. And in that moment, can I tell you just a minute? I know I've told a lot of you this. But listen to me, in that moment, as I stood in that waiting room, that trial came into me, and I started believing. I said, did I? Did I take money? Did I do something wrong? That trial began to want to define me. And then when my 10-year-old son comes home and he says, Daddy, my friend's parents want to know why you did this. Oh, my God. Now my children think that about me. Now it's not only trying to define me, but it's trying to define my family. It's trying to define everybody. And I'll never forget, I wanted to crawl under a rock, bury my face, and I just wanted to die. Because I said, everybody in this community is going to think that I'm a thief. And so then I started thinking, not only is Jared trying to be defined, but my family's trying to be defined, and now I'm about to be defined to this community because that's who I am. Can I tell you, church, that was on a Monday. I remember coming to this church Wednesday. There was a few of you here. And I remember getting in that pulpit. And I said, if that snake's in this house, 
then you better rise your head. And if it's not, I remember one of the hardest trials of my life telling everybody in this church, don't you defend me. Don't you touch. If you know who did this, don't you touch it. Don't you defend me whatsoever. Because I knew the moment God told me if anybody touches this, I'll take my hand off. I remember the Holy Ghost telling me, I'm your attorney. You let this go. And I remember telling this church, if you're here, then God's going to expose it. And if you're not, then I knew God would expose it. But I knew that nobody in this church was to stand up for me. Even though the devil was trying to define me and make me something to define this church. But I knew if we touched it, then God would quit defining who we are. It's up to God to make us who we are, not the devil. I said it's up to God to make us who we are, not the devil. And so I knew in that moment, I knew in that moment that I had to let God fight this battle and that God was my defender, not man and not Jared. I had people offering to call me. They were calling me on the phone. They said, I got this lawyer that said he'll fight for you. You want to go after him? And I said, I can't. I can't touch it. Can't touch it. You know how bad I wanted to fire down on some heads? You know how bad I wanted to take that attorney? But I knew that every moment, if I, I wouldn't be in this pulpit today, I'd probably be in prison for murder because I've never been so belittled in my entire life. You see, that trial, that day I was in that waiting room, God plainly said to me, He came to me. I'm sitting there, my wife is squalling, and I'm sitting there saying, Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And I heard God gently say this. You can trade places with them. He said, that's real. He said, what you're going through is not. He said, you know it's not. He said, but I'm going to use this to change you. God brought me to a place in that waiting room. Because I didn't know if my wife believed it in that moment. I didn't know. I didn't know who believed. Is this really real? I didn't know what I believed, Justin. And the Lord came to me very loving. He said, you trade places with them? I said, God, I don't want to lose a child. He said, that's real. He said, what you're facing is not. And the Lord said, I'm about to bring you to a place in your life, Jared. Where if it's only you and I that know the truth. If it's only you and I, if your family thinks it's true. If everybody is against you, can Jared Jenkins, can you be okay? Can you be okay to look me in the eye and know that I got your back? And I said, Lord, I don't want to go to Bowen Hardware. I don't want to go to Jack Locks. I don't want to go to the holiday. Cancun's wasn't open. You don't want to go anywhere. But just stay over here in my neck of the woods. Because everywhere you walk, people's going to say, look at him, that crook, that thief. That trial was trying to define me, David. But instead, God stepped in. And there's times you just walk through trials and fires in life that you outlive. That you outlive. And I promise you today, I don't smell like, I don't look like. I can promise you that what I walked through then, it's not even remembered, but by the ones that tried to bury me. Amen. And guess what? They probably still hadn't let go of it. 
I know they hadn't because God is my defender. God is this church's defender. And I'm telling you, whatever you're walking through in life, God is your defender. He's your protector. He's your attorney. And you don't have to pay him anything. All you got to do is say, God, I step out of the way and I say, you fight my battles. You fight my battles. And here's what I know, that division don't define us Man, that people's dirty deeds don't define us, but here's what I know. Just as Joseph was betrayed, he just had to keep walking with God. And there came a day after 17 years that, that Pharaoh said, hey, I hear there's somebody down in that dungeon that knows how to interpret dreams. Are you hearing me? There came a day that the king began to call. And when the king called that day, I can tell you what Joseph did. He shaved his face and he changed his garment. There was a day, there was a day that Joseph outlived everything that he had been through. My God, Potiphar's wife tried to accuse him. He had been abandoned. He had been shipwrecked. They put him in a pit with no water. They tried to drown him out. But I'm here to tell you tonight, church, that division did not define Joseph, but it came out the other side, not looking or smelling like what he'd been through. Hallelujah. come out the other side and he was a provider the very ones I said he was a provider the very ones that abandoned him and betrayed him he was a provider for them he was a sustainer for them he was a protector of them how you know he's going to protect them well he could have killed them and nobody never would have knew it was Joseph they never would have known they didn't know it was him he could have killed them all. So I know he's a protector. I know he's their provider. Amen, I know that. Because the Bible says that's what he did. He says, hey, come move here. Hey, go tell our daddy I'm still alive. Amen. Hallelujah. I said division didn't define him. The hog pen didn't define the prodigal. Church, whatever you're facing tonight, don't have to define you either. Amen. Let people say what they want to say. They're going to talk about you. Amen. They're going to hate you. Let them say what they want to say about this church. They're going to do it. They're going to do it. But I'm telling you, hold on. I'm telling you, hold on. Because there's coming a reunion. <laughs> Y'all miss a good time to put your hands together right there. There's coming a reunion. Every place that touched this house. Every place that touched this pulpit, every place that touched this worship, I promise you, Brother Chris, they got to come back here. <laughs> they got to come back here. They got to come back here, Brother Buck. I said they got to come back here before they can move on. I can tell you this, spiritual growth stops in that moment. I said spiritual growth stops at a moment. You touch God's anointed. It stops. You cannot mature in the things of God. That prodigal son could not mature any longer till he got back to the father's house. Everything spiritually in his life stopped. Everything stopped when he said, Father, give me what's mine. Everything stopped. Spiritual growth stopped for him. When you think you know better for God, I promise you, you're not closer to God than what you were. Don't give me that hogwash. You're going for the hog pen. Amen. I love when people say, well, I, no, I'm not faithful to church, but I'm closer to God than I've ever been. I pray more than other people, and I read, no, you don't. No, you don't. You may pray, but you, you may P-R-E-Y. 
your prey for the wolves. Amen? But don't give me that when you're away from God, backslidden in the hog pen. Don't tell me you pray more. No, you don't. Not if you're not faithful to God and God's house. You don't pray more. You're not more spiritual. You're not closer to God. Then no, you're not. You're divided. But by the grace of God, division don't have to define us. Amen? Hallelujah. Y'all still with me? I'll move on. Division don't have to define us. Listen to this. In the pig pen, the grace of God was there. The Spirit of God had to be there because he said, I'll return. And here's what the Spirit of God just spoke to me the other day, and I believe somebody here needs to hear this. Once the robe was put on, the ruins of the hogs were put off. Once the robe was put on, the ruins of the hogs was put off. I don't read anywhere where the man took a shower. Amen. I don't read anywhere where he had time to clean off or rinse off or shake off. But I can tell you what I see. I see the robe put on. Hog nest everywhere. A mess. But what did the father do? He ran to him and he met him. I don't believe there was a water hose somewhere on the way. Amen. There wasn't time for all of that. And I can promise you this. The father wasn't worried about it. You know what? The father knew what had been waiting in the closet. He said, I got a ring, I got a robe, I got shoes, I got a calf that we've been feeding. I've been waiting for this moment. I promise you the problem in the church is it was when you got the calf ready, the robe ready, we're too busy putting people in a box and saying you got to get rinsed off and cleaned off before you can do anything else. I'm here to tell you today, just put the robe over the slob and watch God do a miracle. You put the robe on, the ruins of the hog pen will just begin to fall off. You won't even know there's ruins of the hog pen on anyone then. Amen. I believe that. Amen. I'm not sure if he bathed or not, but the love of the Father washed it all off. And I promise you love will do the same for you. Amen. And there's somebody I believe needs to hear this tonight. Divorce don't define you. Divorce don't define you. Amen. Am I saying go out and get a divorce? No, that's not what I'm saying. Amen. That, that's not right either. The Bible plainly says God hates divorce. So I'm not giving you pro, uh, approval to go say, all right, I can get a divorce. Pastor Jared said that I could because it's not going to define me. No, no, no. Don't take the word and twist it for your good, okay? That's not what we're saying. But I'm saying if you have, then it don't have to define who you are. Amen? You don't need to live depressed by your mistakes or your other's mistakes any longer. Some divorces isn't your fault. I said some divorces aren't your fault. Somebody just needs to hear that tonight. I'm telling you. I believe that. Amen. You just need to know that. Some things aren't your fault. Amen. And so listen to this. The woman at the well, John chapter 4. She comes. She's just going to get a drink, isn't she? That's what she thinks. I believe in the back of her mind, she knew that the last time she went to a, the last time that Jacob went to a well, he found the love of his life. <laughs> and I believe she's thinking, I may find the love of my life here today too. I've been married five times, wasted every one of them. Do you know that whenever you get a divorce in the Jewish culture, that the husband had the right to bring that wife that he's divorcing before everybody and publicly abuse them? And here's what he would say. Come here, Sister Tanya. You're going to be this woman. 
And so they would publicly bring the woman up in front of everybody. And the husband had the authority and the right to look at her and say three times, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. Now sit down. Now you think, one failed marriage. I wonder how she felt here. And I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. Now she gets married again. Come up here, woman at the well. I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. Now go sit down. How do you think she's feeling now after the second broken marriage? And publicly in front of everybody, could it possibly be the same people? The third marriage? I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. Three times, surely that's enough. Now go sit down. You failed again. Don't you know what you've wasted? And so I'm going to try a fourth husband. So we'll try number four. Let's get married again. Well, it didn't work out. I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. Now go sit down. Four. Man. Well, let's give it a little while, but we'll try five because five is the number of grace. Surely this is it, right? Will you come up here one more time, woman at the well? I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. Now go sit down. Fifteen times this woman has to hear the words, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. I wonder what she was really hearing. You failure, you failure, you failure. You're a mistake, you're a mistake, you're a mistake. You're no good, you're no good, you're no good. I wonder what all she heard. Probably some of the same things that the devil tells many of us. You failure, you failure, you failure. And to publicly display that over and over and over again, I wonder how the woman felt. I wasn't trying to hurt you. Okay, okay. I know you got to be careful though. Amen? Because I would never want somebody to, like, this is serious. And so, so many times we hear the lies of the devil over and over and over and over and over. And guess what we start doing? We start allowing that to define who I am. Well, it must be true. Because it didn't work the first time, second time, third time, fourth time, the fifth time. Man, I really am bad. And so now what do we do? I'm not getting married again. So I'm just going to choose sin for my lifestyle. I'm going to live in adultery. I'm going to live in sin. Are you hearing me? You know why we choose that? You know why we choose sin? You know why we choose things of the world? You know why we choose addictions? You know why we choose these things? Because we come to believe that what the devil has spoken and what others have said and done is the truth about me. And we allow these things in our life to define us. I believe some of us, if we were honest, when we were growing up, you were probably told some things like this. You'll never amount to anything. Why would you even try? So how many of us live our life feeling like we'll never amount to anything? And so you never even try at life. You'll never be good at anything. And so we never try anything. So many of us live in the condemnation of these things over and over and over and over again. Over and over and over again. And we're reviled and we're rebuked by people. And it starts privately, but then it becomes publicly. And then I start adapting to these things, Brother Chris. 
And I started accepting and allowed those things, these failures, these weaknesses, whatever they may be, I started allowing these things to define who I am. And we wonder why the church is so weak in authority and power. Because if we've allowed our failures and past mistakes to define who we are and we don't live in the full capacity that Jesus said in his word. He that is in me is greater than he that is in the world. The same spirit that rose Christ from the dead lives within me. Do we really believe these? Do we let these words and the word of God define who I am? Or do the words, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you define who I am? What defines who we are? We have to make up our mind. But I can tell you this tonight. That divorce and division does not have to have the final say in defining who I am. This woman said, I believe she got up that day. She thought she was going to come in the middle of the day when nobody was there. Oh, but Jesus knew exactly when to go. I could just see Jesus. I just believed that he knew when she was coming and he knew the wounds that was in her. He knew everything about her life and I bet the woman was coming at the well and I bet Jesus was somewhat like this. I bet he was trying to hide behind the well. I bet he could hear a water pail just rattling and I bet the heart of Jesus was like, oh, here she comes. Oh, here she comes. I know she's on the way. And I can see Jesus just hiding himself because if that Samaritan woman would have known that a Jew was there, she never would have came to the well, Brother David. And so Jesus somewhat tucked himself in behind that well and he heard that water bucket rattling. He said, I'm about to change her life. Sometimes Jesus lies in wait in things with us too. You ever felt like you've been set up by the Holy Ghost? You didn't know what you was getting into and the Holy Ghost was laying there waiting on you. All of a sudden you hear the water bucket rattling. Jesus' heart is pounding and he's like, oh, I'm fixing to change her world. I know she's had five mistakes in marriages and she's living in adultery right now, but Jesus said, I'm about to wreck her world, Dominique. I'm about to change her life. And all of a sudden she got close and Jesus turned around and she saw him and she said, oh, what are you doing here in the middle of the day? And Jesus said, if you only knew who I was. If you only knew who I was and if you only knew what I possessed, you would ask of me of a drink and I would give it. And if you drink of this water, you would never thirst again. And if you would eat of this bread, you would never be hungry again. And Jesus just began to love on her and said, you've been married five times. They're failed. Jesus wasn't angry with her. And Jesus said, I know all that. He said, as a matter of fact, what I do know about you is you're living with a man right now and he's not your He's not your husband. Well, no wonder she moved to that. Because she allowed divorce to define her. And I wonder what things in your life has defined you. Because you keep hearing the enemy over and over and over again. I divorce you. I divorce you. I divorce you. If you're not careful, those things in our life, Chase, will define who we are. You're not defined by the mistakes that you've made. Those mistakes and everything that you're facing right now in life, you may have a rap sheet this long from here to the floor, but that don't define who Chase is. That don't define who Chase is. I ran into your great niece at the holiday yesterday. You know what she said? You know what everybody tells me about Chase? He's such a good boy. He is such a good boy. He's a sweet boy. She said he's such a sweet boy, but what does Chase see? Chase sees the rap sheet that's from here down. That's what Chase sees. What does the devil want you to see? He don't want you to look past that and see God. He wants you to be defined by the rap sheet that's on paper. But I'm telling you, those things don't define who we are. 
What defines us is what's written in red. What does Jesus say about us? I said, what does Jesus say about us? Amen. Five marriages didn't define the woman at the well. Amen. I said, five marriages didn't define the woman at the well. Amen. She probably got used. Amen, to hearing those words over and over and over and over again. But I'm here today to tell you that Jesus showed up at the well to destroy the works of the devil. And I can tell you that Jesus showed up at GFCC to destroy the works of the devil. You might not have known why you showed up tonight in this house, but I'm telling you Jesus showed up. You may not see him yet, but he's about to make himself real and evident to you in your life. And he's about to destroy every yoke of bondage that's tried to define you. If divorce has tried to define you, then Jesus is here tonight to set you free. I can tell you what happened with this woman. Divorce didn't define her because when she met the man that she fell in love with, his name was Jesus Christ. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Let me tell you tonight, church, he is a reputation redeemer. That woman may have been married five times and living in adultery, but when she went in that village of Samaria, she went in there and said, let me tell you about a man that told me everything I've ever done, but yet he didn't condemn me. But instead I was convicted and I surrendered my life to him and now there's a whole village who knows this Christ. I said he's a reputation redeemer in our church. <laughs> Hallelujah. How do I know he's a reputation redeemer? Because them three Hebrew boys didn't smell like smoke, look like smoke or anything. They didn't look or smell like what they've been through. Amen. Probably unless I showed you my mugshot, you wouldn't know what I've been through either. Amen. You wouldn't know what I've been through unless I showed you my mugshot. And if I told a lot of you what I've been through, you'd probably blush and run away. Amen. Amen. Probably all of you. If we really sat down, you told me everything you've been through. You don't look like what you've been through. Amen. Why do you think we tell these young people and preach to them? Be careful what you listen to. Be careful what you watch. Be careful who you attach yourself to. Amen. Be careful who you attach yourself to. Sexual sin is the most perverted, wicked thing. People say sin is sin. Let me tell you, no, no, no. Sexual sin is much greater because the Bible tells me sexual sin is a sin against your own body. So there's so many things, amen, that try to pollute your life, try to pollute your mind. I'm telling you, young people, just stay straight the whole time from the beginning to the very end. Don't give up your purity. You stay right with God. Save yourself for marriage and watch God bless your soul. Watch God bless your socks off. I'm telling you, church, we're not just a bunch of old people trying to keep you from having fun. No, we want you to have fun forever and ever and ever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Listen to this preacher. Amen. Hallelujah. We're not defined by that. Amen. I want to say this too. There's been a lot of death go on in this community. Amen. A lot of death has taken place close to us. John chapter 11. Turn there with me if you will. Somebody needs to know that death don't define me either. Amen. Death don't define me. You may have faced death. You may be facing it right now. Lost loved ones pain, hurt. Can I tell you that death is a part of life? It just is. None of us like it. None of us want it. But death is a part of life. 
A lot of appointments that you make in life, but the appointment to death you do not make. You may make the appointment to get your ears done, hair done, nails done, whatever. Amen. But you don't make the appointment to death. You don't make that appointment. That's up to God. It's appointed unto man once to die. And then the judgment. But death don't define you. Death don't define the body of Christ. Where, O death, is your sting? I said death don't define the body of Christ. Why don't death define the body of Christ? Because Jesus tells us here. Death tries to define those that are around us. Death was trying to define Mary and Martha. Jesus, if you'd only been here. I said death tries to define many people, and we have lost people in our life, and some people can't move forward with God because you're angry with God, because you're mad at God, because God took somebody from you. And that death has defined who you are and who you've become. The Lord spoke this to me last week and yesterday at Justin's going home celebration. Brother John spoke this. I was about to run around that church. The Holy Ghost was so strong. It was powerful. And so I'm telling you that death don't have to define us. Because when we're born again, you know, our, our, our perception of things are shifted. God says in the book of Psalms, I believe it's 116, that precious in the sight of the Lord is the coming home of his saints. So God's in heaven and he's cheering the saints on, hey, I want you on with me. And what are we doing? I want you to stay here with me. We're holding back. And we allow death to define who we are through our emotions because we don't want to turn loose. But for the child of God and for the church, this is not our home. This is not our home. And so we can't become so content with living here. Now losing somebody in our life is never easy. We don't want that whatsoever. But death is a part of life. It is. But Sister David, death don't have to define us. It don't define us. We don't have to be angry with God. Cindy, I know there's been times in your life that you've been angry with God. She lost a little child at an early age. And I know that death has tried to define you and send you back into down spirals of addiction to be angry with God and give you an excuse and a reason to numb the pain. To numb the pain. I'm sure, sister, you have reasons to be angry with God. But death, whew, it's all right. Let it go. It's all right. Death, God, she lost a precious son. And I know her heart hurts because it was unfair. It was unfair. It's not right. Unfair. But vengeance is God's. Let it go, sister. Come on. You can't hold that in. Just let it go. It's okay. It's okay. God knows. God knows. God knew every person that would be here tonight. He would know that death don't have to define us. Amen. Many of you probably knew her son, Rand Elmore. If you knew Rand, that was her son. And I promise you, that's not an easy thing to let go of whenever something is done wrongly. Amen. And I'm telling you, God does not want 
death to define who we are. God does not want that. It was defining Mary and Martha. They were going to Jesus and they were angry with him and said, Jesus, Jesus, if you'd only been here, if you'd only been here, if you'd only been here, then our brother would not have died. Why didn't you do something, Jesus? They were angry. If you'd only been here, why didn't you stop this from happening? I can tell you, I was at Carmel on a Wednesday night. I didn't have phone service. I leave Carmel, my phone's blown up. People were calling my phone left and right. They said, you better get to the Bonifay Hospital. Your dad's there, and I don't think he's going to make it through the night. And I remember going in that hospital, and I'll never forget going in that back right surgery room. And I remember seeing there my daddy with a thing in his throat. I'll never forget that night. I'll never forget that night. It, brought, it broke me. And I remember just a few years earlier than that praying for a man that was on his deathbed for 78 days, Lucas Treadwell. I remember some of the same people being at the hospital with my daddy there. And I remember praying the same prayer, said, God, I've seen you raise Lucas Treadwell from the dead. And God, if you don't raise my daddy from the dead, then he's going to die. I remember the same people. I remember the same prayer. But God didn't move on my behalf like he did for Lucas. And I wanted to say, God, why? The same people were here. The same prayer was being prayed. God, why? Brother, I know you feel the same. I know at times that death has tried to define who you are, tried to send you in the wrong direction with your mom and your nephew. I understand. God knows. God knows. God knows what we've been through. God knows many of us have lost loved ones in our life, brother. I know your heart is broken for the losses in your life. I know, I know we believe God for you. We believe God with your mom. We believe God, but that death don't define you, brother. You're a man of God, and you walked upright. You've walked upright before them, brother. I'm telling you, God is pleased with your life. But I'm telling you tonight, church, there's many times that death has tried to define our lives that death has come to us unjustly and unfairly many times in our life. And we didn't know what to do. We didn't understand. We did not know why this happened. And many times the devil will come and say, it's your fault. Many times we take ownership for people that die in our life, and it's not ours. I'm telling you, it's not our place to take, take ownership of anybody. Amen? It's up to God when that day comes. I said it's up to God when that day comes. But let me tell you what we can be defined by, that we can know that when we're in the blood of the Lamb, that death don't define me. Amen? I can tell you that if I die tonight, then it's time for me to go on, and somebody better take this church and go on and see that the vision's fulfilled. Amen? Death don't define me. Death don't define you. Death don't define this church. I'm telling you, there is no sting in death when we're washed in the blood of the Lamb. Amen? We can't be defined by death any longer, church. And I believe that God wants to heal this body. I have felt the Holy Ghost for about three weeks telling me I'm about to go deeper than I've ever been. I'm about to put an auger in the ground like the Holy Ghost, and it's about to start turning and churning and stirring things up that people, that people didn't even know that was there. And I just feel the Holy Ghost just 
just grinding things out right now, Sister Tammy. He's moving things out of the way. He's pulling things up. Some of you didn't even want to talk about. Some of you forgot about it. But I'm telling you, God is on the move. I said God is on the move. And I know that God is stirring these things up. Marty, you hold on. Because every death that you face, sister, you're pouring out. And life is being given now. Because there's a seriousness on the inside of you. There's a fervency on the inside of you. You don't play games with the devil. You don't play games with sin. You stand up in the face of the rotten devil and you proclaim and you're an overcomer and we're made overcomers by all that you've overcome. Hallelujah. I said death don't have to define us. How many of you would just be honest and say I've lost people in my life and it tried to define me? I became rebellious after that, became defiant after that. I've been angry with God after that. How many of you know you, you can be angry with God? <laughs> you say that to some people and they'll say, Who, I would never be angry with God. Why would I be angry with God? He's perfect and he's good and he's loving. Give me a break. <laughs> some of you's mad at God because who your parents are. Some of you's mad at God where you grew up at. Some of you's mad at God because the card, the dealt that you were handed in life. Don't tell me. Because the devil's going to turn your blame as a child into one person, God. You learned how to be angry with God as a child. You didn't learn that as an adult. You just carried that over into your adult life. But yet now that we're grown up and mature, we would never be angry with the perfect God. Don't you see what I wear? Don't you know that I'm faithful to church? How could anybody be angry with God? I don't know about you, but anytime something bad happens, the first thing the devil turns my attention to is being angry with God. He did it. And I guarantee if every one of us would be honest, you'd say the same thing. The devil's job is always to turn us against the Lord. Did not he do that from the very beginning? His games hadn't changed. He's the same stupid devil that was in Genesis. <laughs> He's the same devil. Amen. You see that? It's okay to have that. God didn't really say that. It's okay to be mad at God. It's okay to try that. No, it's no. We have to know the enemy's voice. Death don't have to define who we are. Amen. I hope this was helping somebody. I said death don't have to define who we are. John eleven thirty five. I'm sorry. I love John. 11.35, Jesus wept, but that's not what I was looking for. Amen. Although I love that scripture, the shortest scripture in the whole Bible that Jesus cried. Amen. But that's not the one I was looking for. Let me see here. I can't read my own writing. Here we go. Death didn't define Lazarus. Verse 44. Somebody read it aloud. He that was dead. That was dead. I said that was dead. That was dead. So did death define Lazarus even though he was dead? Is he dead now? 
He's not dead now. Why isn't he dead now? Because if you back up a few chapters, what did Jesus say he was? I am the resurrection and I am the life. Jesus said, that's who I am. Did I not tell you already that I would raise him from the dead? Well, they begin to argue because death was defining them. Well, I knew that he would be raised from the dead, but we thought that it would be in the second resurrection. And Jesus said, no, you don't define death. I do. And I define it by saying I am the resurrection and I am the life. Amen. And so death does not define us. He who was dead came forth. So death didn't define Lazarus no matter how long he was dead, no matter what death looked like on Lazarus, no matter what death smelt like on Lazarus. I'm telling you, when Jesus showed up, everything shifted. And Jesus showed up and said, Lazarus, come forth. That tells me death didn't define Lazarus. And death don't define you and I either. Amen? Hallelujah. We'll see if we can get to the end of this. Y'all still with me? Hallelujah. So if God sees our potential instead of our impurities, there must be a process that we pass through. We'll say that again. If God sees our potential instead of our impurities, then there must be a process that we pass through. What is that process that we must pass through? It's called the refiner's fire. E. <laughs> y'all ready to jump and shout right here? I know y'all are. Turn the heat up seven times more. Really? <laughs> Really turn the heat up seven times more just because I didn't bow down and serve that false God? I didn't do nothing wrong. I understand if I was wrong. I understand if I deserve punishment. Then throw me in there seven times hotter. But I did nothing, but I just didn't worship your false God. But God knows all of this. And can I tell you that you're going to be persecuted for living for Christ? People are going to talk about you. People are going to betray you. People are going to abandon you when you live for Jesus. But what I have found is what the book of Peter said, it's much greater to suffer for the things of Christ than to suffer for the things that we've done wrong. I suffered 25 years because of my own stupidity. Amen. Drugs cause you to suffer. You broke relationships, it causes you to suffer. Amen. I caused a lot of suffering in my life on my own. But now the suffering that we face it's not on my own, but it's because Jesus chose me for the furnace of affliction. Can I tell you that Jesus chooses us for the furnace of affliction many times? Because you remember the picture a while ago? There's a master that sees the possibility, not the impurity. He knew what he was looking for. You remember that? There's somebody that sees great potential in that rock. I don't see it, Brother David, but I'm telling you there's somebody that does. You know who does? A refiner. And he said, that's what I've been looking for my whole life. And I just believe that some of you was laid in some place, in some crevice, in some gutter, in some addiction, in some divorce, in some death. Some of you was just laying in some place, some religion, whatever you want to call it. We're all in sin, separated from God. And one day the master walked by and kicked you and said, oh, that's exactly who I was looking for. I know nobody else wants them, but I sure do. And the refiner said, I'm going to pick them up because I see potential, not impurity. I see potential in their life. And so we wonder after the honeymoon stage of salvation is over. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's real easy at first, but then the honeymoon stage gets over. And then reality starts coming and you feel the heat. You feel the pressure of the fire. You feel the fires of life and the trials of life. And immediately these trials try to start defining you and who you are. They try to start confining you in your worship. 
and what you do for God. But we're not defined by these things. Amen. But what we are is the impurities are refined. So how are we going to become pure? How are we going to become the potential that God sees in us? He must turn up the fire. And he must begin to remove impurities or unwanted. Here's what refined means. To remove impurities or unwanted elements from a substance. You see, God sees the potential, but God also sees these things that only the fire can get out. Listen to this. I love this definition of refine. It means to improve something by making small changes. I thank God that he don't try to require a lot of change out of us at one time. Just a little heat here. He knows when to turn the heat back down. Amen. Aren't you glad he knows when to turn the heat back down? I just need a small change right now. Amen. So he turns the fire up and up and these things start shaking loose. And he says, all right. All right. Turn the fire up a little bit more. And he says, all right. I'll give them a break. But then the next time, you feel the, oh. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I like to call this process sanctification. <laughs> some of you has got some sanctifiers in your life. Amen. Some of us are married to our sanctifier. <laughs> Amen. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Amen. Ain't that right? Any of y'all? Sister Brandy said, yep. Russell is a sanctifier. Amen. Turns the heat up. Amen. And so the refiner knows, though. He knows the season and he knows the time and he knows the potential that's in us. And so he knows that if he's about to use the potential, then he may have to put the fire to get the impurities out. So God knows, and I'm thankful that the refiner knows, to improve something by making small changes, in particular to make more accurate. In particular to make something more accurate. What is he doing? He's making us more like him. And if we're going to be accurate, then we got to be like Jesus. Amen? So where do we get this from? The book of Malachi. Y'all turn there with me. Malachi chapter 3. Amen? Y'all still with me? I know I'm kind of. Malachi chapter 3. Let me find my place here. I may be in the wrong place. Three, two. Oh, no wonder. I was in Micah, not Malachi. Sorry about that, y'all. Don't believe we're going to get that out of there, are we? Malachi 3 2. But who may abide the day of his coming, and who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and purify of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi, Levi and purge them as gold and silver. 
that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord as in the days of old, as in the former years. And I will come near to you to judgment. And I will be swiftness and, and will be a swiftness, swift witness against the sorcerers and against the adulterers and against false swears and against those that oppress the hireling and his wages, the widow, and the fatherless. And that turn aside from the stranger from his right and fear. Amen. So here's what I want to say to you. The refiner knows when he begins to turn up the heat, he knows the impurities that's in us. But the refiner is not focused on the impurities. Can I tell you why the refiner is there and why he must continually turn up the heat? It's because the purpose of the refiner knows that there are impurities that settle in the bottom. And there's many times that he turns the fire up and things kind of come easier, easier to the surface. And so he scrapes these things off, the dross. He scrapes it off. Amen. And when he scrapes that off, he's looking into that pot. And he wants to know if I can see my reflection yet. And if he can't see his reflection in that that he's sifting off the impurities, then he knows i got to turn the fire up a little more. Because he knows that there's impurities and sediments in the bottom of that gold that are trying to fight to hold on. Many of us have things in our life, impurities and sediments. Now listen to me. God's not mad at you about them. He sees full potential in you. But he also knows if he's going to get full potential out of you, then he's got to get the impurities to come up. It's not our responsibility to pull the impurities out. You can't be good enough to get rid of impurities. Only the fire of the refiner can do that because you can't see your reflection, but the refiner is looking over that, and every time he turns the heat up and more things come up, he's taking the dross and he's skimming it off, and he's putting the old stuff over to the side, and he's looking down in that pot, and he said, all right, can I see my reflection yet? And he can't see his reflection yet, so he turns up the fire a little bit more. He said they're still fighting to hold on to some things, and so he turns the fire up a little bit more, and there's more things that's breaking loose at the bottom. And he said they're getting closer. They're getting closer, and these impurities begin to float to the top. Them things that's held on for all them years, they're starting to let go, and they're fighting, and they're just like this, shaking in the bottom. But the hotter the fire gets, they have no choice but to break loose. And then the refiner scrapes them off again, and he says, all right. He said, I'm starting to see my reflection. He said, I may be a little dim, but I'm starting to see my reflection. Can I tell you that's what Jesus is doing? Jesus knows everything that is within us, so we wonder why we're facing fires and trials in our life because he is the refiner, and he sits like the refiner, and he says, I'm going to turn the heat up. They've made it through the trial so far, and they've been faithful to be. So I'm fixing to turn the heat up a little bit more because I want to see my reflection a little better in them. I want the world to see the reflection of Christ in their life. And so don't be surprised, the Bible says, at the fiery trials that we face. Amen? Don't be surprised. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 7 says this. That the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perish, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. So whenever you're tried by fire, know that God is doing something greater than you could ever think or imagine. Amen. I said our faith is more precious than gold. Amen. Our faith is more precious than gold. 
though it be tried with fire, might be found to praise and honor to the glory of God. Amen? So we're being purified for a purpose. Listen to this. Our refining should be revealing Christ in us, the hope of glory. Our refining should be revealing. There should become more revelation at the refining that comes to our lives. When we're refined, more revelation should come. Not only revelation for us, but revelation for those that are around us. Amen? Stay with me. I'm about to close. Brother Ray, if you want to come, listen to me. We don't need to resist the refiner's fire for it reveals Jesus. I'm going to say that again. Don't resist the refiner's fire for the refiner's fire reveals Jesus. The only way that some people are ever going to see Jesus is in your fire. Daniel chapter 3. Stay with me. I hope this encouraged somebody tonight. Daniel chapter 3, we'll close here. The only way that some people will ever, ever see Jesus is in your fire. Amen? Listen to this. Verse 26. Verse 25. King Nebuchadnezzar ran to the fire. And he answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose. I see four men loose. Can I tell you, had the three Hebrew boys never got put in the fire, King Nebuchadnezzar would have never seen Christ. All he ever would have known was his golden image. So many people may only ever know false gods that they've built because we're unwilling to go through the fires. But when we're willing to get in the fire, it brings revelation to Christ. Not only did it give revelation to the three Hebrew boys because Christ was there with them, but now it's given revelation to a wicked king. Who is going to know Jesus because the fires of our life depends to you? Amen. Verse 26, Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth out of the midst of the fire. Listen to this, verse 27, one of my favorite passages of Scripture in the whole word. And the princes, the governors, and captains, and king's counselors being gathered together saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power. How are they going to see that had they not been in the fire? We have to trust that our fires don't confine us, define us, but they do refine us. Amen? They do refine us. So how are the princes, the governors, and the captains, and the king's counselors going to see the revelation of Jesus unless you get in the fire? Nor was a hair of their head singed, neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. Listen to this. How will people's minds ever be changed if they never see us walk through a battle? If they never see the faithfulness of Christ in the middle of a fire, how will people ever change their mind about what they believe? Does that make sense? I hope what I'm about to read will make sense. Because I'm telling you, we serve a reputation redeemer. I'm telling you, we serve a God that will change minds. We serve a God that can change the mindset of the Democrats. I know you say that's impossible, but I'm telling you, I don't know what King Nebuchadnezzar was, but he might have been that. I don't know. I'm not here to preach politics. 
But I'm telling you, we serve a God that can change mindsets. Amen? I said we can serve a God that changed everybody's mind. If a king is wicked enough to throw three little Christian men in the midst of a fire, and whenever they see Christ revealed because them three boys they put in the fire was willing to stay in the fire and not run out of the fire, on the other side of the fire, this wicked king took notice that their God was God. Church, we got to stay in the fire. I know. I know what we've been in has been hot. I know what we've been in has been hot. But I can tell you this, those that got out of the fire, those that got out of the fire have led people to get out of the fire. They've led people to get out of the fire. I was talking to somebody the other day, I may have shared this, the first time when we were told to shut the churches. Some people gave in to that. I know some people had to. But if you talk to most, a majority of those ministers today, if they shut down one time, They've not recovered to 50% yet. They've not recovered to 50% yet. And if they close two times, because the first time, we didn't even know what this sickness was. We just did it because they told us we had to. Men's riding over our heads telling us what to do. So what do we do? We shut the doors. We just gave in. They said, now, just like this church, about 80 people at one time was hit. What option do you have? You have to begin to make decisions. Thank God that people were well, went outside, and we had church. I thank God because I promise you, once you stop this, it's hard to get it back going. Anytime you start shut, shut down revival, it's hard to get revival back stirred up in the hearts of people. But as long as you keep revival stirred up, there's a reason they had to keep wood on the fire in the Old Testament to keep the fire burning. Because if you ever let that fire die out, brother, you weren't going to get that fire back to the full capacity that it once was. You better keep the fire toked up. You better keep wood on the fire. Not wet wood, not old wood. I'm telling you, you better put seasoned wood on that fire. And I'm telling you, seasoned saints are going to keep revival going in this hour. I'm telling you, nothing is going to be able to shut down the church of God in this hour. There is a that's going to stand. I was told that if they shut down one time, they lost 50% of their people. And if they shut down two times, they're not back to 30% yet. Will we ever get back there? Barna did a study and it said one in three practicing Christians have quit going to church for good because of COVID-19. Some will never go back. I had a pastor friend of ours said a seasoned Christian, 30 years, he said, I'm not talking about here yesterday and going tomorrow. 30 years they've been in the church. Said they'd never be back. Said, we'll watch online, Pastor. We'll send our tithes. But we're not coming back. What better place to be? What better place to go? In an altar. You know what my desire is? I hope I'm however old, but I hope I'm preaching this gospel. Amen. I wouldn't mind be preaching this gospel right now and just going to be with Jesus. I just love preaching this gospel. Lord, let me be on a mission field and just go home and be with Jesus. Amen. Let me preach this gospel. Let me see somebody. Lay hands on somebody. Let them get born again. Let me be preaching this gospel. 
Amen. Let me be singing a worship song, Brother Russell. Let me just be worshiping God in the house of God. Lord, just rapture me right out of the pulpit. Amen. Just take me right out of that place. I know that if you're called by God, you'd agree with me tonight. Amen. Let me tell you something, church, that we cannot, we cannot let the world define us. We cannot let the trials of life define us or confine us, but we're being refined right now. I'm telling you, we've been chosen for the furnace of affliction. It don't feel right. I'm telling you, it don't look right at times, but I'm telling you it is. It's right. Would you stand with me? Hallelujah.